Welcome to Baba Yaga Break Time. Hi, Margo. Hi, Hannah. Hey, Margo, you want to know about cannibals? I definitely do. So I am an avowed cannibalism historian. I am not a cannibalism practitioner. I am a historian. I'm just a deep fan of the show Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I admire their work, of course, but no. Um, the reality is that that I think cannibalism is really fascinating because yeah. it is such an incredibly strong cultural taboo. Uh, and it's an accusation that gets hurled around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, some examples come to mind are uh, the blood libel. So the accusation that yep. Jews, which is false, that Jews drink the blood of Christian children. You Thank always you have to say which is clarity. false. <laughs> one of the things I was about, really just going to be like, oh, damn. <laughs> well, one of the things when you do Jewish history, which is a field that I'm aligned with, um, is that it's really hard to talk about these accusations in a way where you aren't constantly saying, by the way, this is all made up and false. Um, another example where we have to talk about it being made up and false some of the time, not necessarily all of the time, is with regard to colonialism. So accusations that indigenous people eat people and that therefore Europeans have to come and rape and pillage yeah. the Americas. Very confused ideas about um, scalping and counting coup, I think. In yeah. Specific. Yeah. Also, a lot of uh, times it gets used within inter-Christian conflict. So Protestants mm-hmm. will accuse Catholics of being cannibals because Catholics believe in transubstantiation. So they believe well, I mean, that that's just a fact. When the host <laughs> touches your mouth, it becomes the actual blood and the actual flesh of Christ. As as a Protestant, I can confirm that if you believe in transubstantiation, you are in fact a cannibal. But I, <laughs> as a Jew, I cannot possibly comment. Um, but uh, I want to talk to you actually today about an example of cannibalism that is 100% absolutely real and uh, well-documented in the primary evidence. Mm-hmm. And that is the example of medicinal cannibalism. <laughs> also called corpse medicine. You're giggling. I don't know why you're giggling. (laughs) Those are two words that definitely go together. Take your vitamins. Its name is Zach. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, you're not that far off. So uh, corpse medicine... uh, I prefer the term medicinal cannibalism because not... It doesn't have to be a corpse to be medicine. You can use stuff from living people. But is the belief that human bodies and their products uh, can be turned into meaningfully helpful remedies? What are their products? Oh, like really great stuff like urine and menstrual blood and nail clippings and hair. Can I tell you about, just real quick, an yeah. aside about the grossest thing that I've ever seen in public? Absolutely. Um, I was at a concert and this guy standing sort of like directly in front of us with his like weird little hippie friends sat on the floor. We were in like general admission, so we were all just standing around, sat on the floor and started clipping his toenails. Ugh. Like, <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> any time someone is doing something like that in public i am horrified on like a visceral why you would not have made it very far as a early modern apothecary i'm sorry because yeah so those make it very far as a modern apothecary that's true (laughs) (laughs) people getting you to look at their rashes while you keel over um no but so uh, these Remedies like urine and menstrual blood um, 
they're not your you don't just drink a glass of urine to get your right. vitamin C. Like you distill it and you put it through into stuff and you powder it and right. you do all kinds of hot nonsense to it and then it's good for you. I promise. Don't try any of this at home. Holy cow. Is that the first time we've had to say that on Baba Yaga? No. Okay, great. Shockingly, good. it's not. Um, but those are the ones where the donor survives, right? Like yeah. you can donate some of your hair and you'll be fine yeah there's the second category where it really is corpse medicine so some choice ingredients include uh fat skulls skulls are super popular skulls can come in two flavors one is skull as skull (laughs) which is often powdered or you touch it and it's good through vibes but then also you can grow something called an usnea on the skull usnea means moss It's not moss. Fun fact, it's mold. It's definitely mold. But you can scrape your moss, aka mold, off the skull and that'll be very good for you. You can drink that in wine. You can touch it with your hands. You can stick it up your nose. It's that that skull. Skull is very prized. Different kinds of bones are, you know, good too. Fat crops up. But the best of the remedies. Is this just like... Is it always the same mold that grows on skulls? Is there like a particular skull mycelium? I haven't gone like deep enough into it, but I suspect that it's like some sort of like thing that grows because you haven't done a good job defleshing the skull maybe. Okay. Or there's something else. I don't know, but it all gets called moss anyway. So we're in the wrong species of thing. Yeah, it's like not even a plant. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I love... (laughs) Moss. But actually my favorite and the number mm-hmm. one remedy of early modern Europe was mummy. Uh, not a mom, although I have seen breast milk. That's another one where the donor does fine after the fact. But yes, a mummified human. I think that's still a human. big one in the, uh, in the crunchy cult. Yeah, that is. Sorry well, if I'm about to alienate any of our listeners. I mean, <laughs> I don't have... St- I- One of my favorite ways to ruin parties is to demand that people uh, decide right now in this instant whether breastfeeding is cannibalism. Because I think it is. I don't think it's bad, but it's cannibal. Like, it's, I'm sure it's great and beneficial, but it is also cannibalism. Well, and pregnancy is a parasitic infection. It's a happy parasite. It's a quasi-symbiotic relationship, theoretically. But mostly it's parasitic. Yeah. I mean, one hopes that all of this is happening with everybody's consent. So um, <laughs> anyway, talk amongst yourselves. Is breastfeeding cannibalism? Is, bite, <laughs> is biting your nails cannibalism? Mm. Is picking your nose and eating it just regular gross or cannibalism gross? You decide. But so mummy is one of my favorite little early modern stories because we start in the m- medieval Middle East where the term mummy comes from the Arabic word mumia, which means tar or bitumen. And it refers to bitumen, which is a kind of tarry substance that comes out of the earth. Uh The word mummy becomes applied to mummified human remains when we start digging those up and they produce a goo... A goo. <laughs> Yay. You thought it would be great to invite the cannibalism historian <laughs> onto your podcast at supper time. Um, but it produces a goo that kind of looks like tar. Okay. And so that gets called mummy. And then 
Mm -hmm. Mummy gets applied to the entire tar-producing thing. But bitumen was thought to be very healthy for you. Is this is this just any anyone who, like, any corpse that has been mummified through any process? Why are you grinning at me like that? Oh, because it's a whole story. It's one of my... So, fa- like, do bog bodies count? No. Okay. Not yet. Okay. Well, okay. So, bitumen is considered very good for you. And right. so, when is people it? start... No, just don't don't okay. eat bitumen. <laughs> I don't know. Don't eat any of the things I'm saying, by the way. I don't know. Like, urine is not actually sterile. Don't drink no. it except in an emergency. And even then, there's a process for how you have to do that without yes. poisoning yourself. Please be careful. Bitumen is considered very good for you. The ooze that comes out of the mummy is considered also very good for you because it looks like bitumen. <laughs> it's because it looks, it's it looks the same. Listen, same, same. I have... If I had deep issues with that kind of thinking, with my salt and sugar bowls. Oh, yeah. No, it it is 100%. (laughs) Not the same. (laughs) Yes, but same, same. And then that gets applied not just to the ooze, but to the mummified human corpse, which is like at this point we're talking like millennia to centuries old, right? And that starts being parceled off and ground up for human consumption as good for you. Mm -hmm. And... All this time, these these things are being produced in North Africa and they're being shipped to Europe ah, okay. where Europeans are consuming them. When the like actual corpse mummies hit the market, the uh-huh. market goes nuts. People cannot get enough of them. So much so that the reason why it is hard to dig up a mummified corpse in North Africa today is because Europeans ate so many of them. <laughs> like... They began to run out of genuine pulled-from-a-tomb mummies. And so they switched to people who died in sandstorms and their remains became desiccated by the hot sun and were like, this is close enough. But then those started to not be plentiful enough. And so you get cases where unscrupulous... Because you see, a scrupulous pharmacologist would only make sure to find genuine North African sandstorm corpses for you. Right. But an unscrupulous apothecary mm-hmm. will use the corpses of people who have died and are not being buried. So Just... the destitute, the disease, the outcast, and start selling those onto Europe as mummies. And they're considered counterfeit. You want, you want a genuine mummy, not a counterfeit mummy. But then around the same time, so we're now, we've left the Middle Ages, we're entering the early modern ages. It's now like the 15th, 16th century Mm -hmm. when a chap called Paracelsus enters the scene. Ah. He's a physician who is not scholarly in terms of his education. Mm -hmm. And he's really angry about scholarly arrogance and thinks that physicians should know things by doing them and that physicians need to be treating all their patients. Like there are ways in which Paracelsus is a really pivotal figure in the history of medicine, which we can talk about another time for the purpose of this story is that he writes the mummy recipe that he formulates the idea of a mummy that becomes standard in most of Northern Europe and Britain for the next couple centuries. Okay. And that is that you want a corpse that has died violently and recently because you want, because he thinks of mummy as a kind of curative, vital spirit. And so if your dead body has been moldering for too long, all the curative spirits have already evaporated. Right. So you want a new, fresh corpse 
and you want a corpse that died a violent death because if somebody's getting sick and dying, then their vital spirit is slowly leaving their body as they succumb to illness. So ideally, you want to vampire someone. A little bit you want to vampire somebody. You also really want to make sure that that, that you're not ingesting any disease or corruption. Right. So um, you don't want an old person, you don't want a sick person, and you want a fresh corpse. So ideally, you want the corpse of somebody who's been executed or died in battle. That is your top degree of corpse. Right. Like a, like a strapping young lad. Yeah. And so you get a guy called... Yeah, it's 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 just terrific. I love this stuff. I'm um, feeling well. We have to kill John. Yeah, there. Well, there's a um, there's a recipe that emerges that calls for the body uh-huh. of a 24 year old ginger man because gingers have more vital blood because that's how they end up ginger. Oh, um, and you collect this corpse and you lay it out beneath the moon and the stars and you imbibe it in wine and herbs and then you smoke it Uh uh-huh and you kind of turn it into human jerky and okay so the next time i have a migraine human jerky we kill sam yeah yeah my my partner is is a ginger he is no longer 24 but for his 24th birthday i did show him this passage because i love it it makes me happy but so This leads to a rash of corpses being stolen from places of execution Uh and doctors just rolling up on battlefields with carts and loading them full of corpses to turn into mummy. Especially in Scotland and Ireland where there's like a surplus of gingers. I'm so glad you brought up Ireland because I have the craziest story about Ireland, which is that Robert Boyle, the great chemist after whom the gas law is named that we all learned in high school, Uh his family owned most of Ireland. Like as English, they were, you know, Anglos. And so they were colonizers in ireland mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he has this charming little diary family activity le- if you're english yeah well <laughs> especially if you're the boyle family um he has this charming little letter where he describes how one summer while staying with his sister in england mm-hmm. he was badly afflicted with nosebleeds mm-hmm. they were very he uses the word they were obnoxious to him <laughs> which i can imagine and his sister had just received as a present an irish skull <laughs> And so he just held the skull and its moss in his hands and the nosebleed stopped. So Robert Boyle is using the literal corpse of a literal colonized person, which has been shipped from the colony to the colonizer abroad as a commodity slash present. Delicious. So it's, that's a rich, rich soup in and of itself. <laughs> Robert Boyle is also really interesting because he writes these charming little essays. Like he has a couple about how he loves his little spaniel, which are very funny and cute. But he Mm -hmm. has one where he writes about oysters and how like he thinks oysters are cool and delicious, but objectively they're kind of weird to eat. Yeah. And his sort of example is, you know, we judge people abroad for being cannibals, but we breastfeed our infants and also we use corpse medicine. So it's all just a matter of whatever culture you're most familiar with 
And what an open mind. Yeah, but also he's just like, yeah, straight up, I am a hypocrite. I will be because he's also president of the New England Company. The, he's like. Yeah. I will be a fucking hypocrite. I will be president of the New England Company. I will grope the Irish human skull. But also, it's all relative, man. <laughs> Me being a colonizing shithead with a predilection for culture. skulls. That's just how we do. Kink shaming is my kink. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's really interesting because there's all these really tortured attempts by academics and including academics I really like and admire to try and explain, well, how can you claim that the Catholics are cannibals or that indigenous people are cannibals or that Jews are cannibals when you yourself love nothing more than a sprinkle of human skull in your wine? And there are things like, well, it's a really a practice in Protestant Europe, so it's a kind of psychoanalytic attempt to replace the ritual of the communion yeah. or you know it's different because cannibalism this is for medical uh, preservation versus for sheer pleasure so if it's for pleasure it's bad you know all of this stuff but robert boyle kind of solves the problem when he's like yeah no i'm a huge fucking hypocrite and i love it right <laughs> he just comes out and gives us the answer when we've been trying to f put this together and i'm not joking here since the 90s why people would do both both you know be such hypocrites judge yeah. others while doing the thing themselves and so that's also why i really like medicinal cannibalism is because i think hypocrisy is kind of interesting <laughs> i think uh and eating people is eating people is always a, uh, worth a laugh and 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 yeah the the whole intense the the richness of it you know the intensity yeah. of the colonial violence the regular violence the carceral violence all compounds in a way that I simply can't get enough of. <laughs> so that's what I have for you on medicinal cannibalism. And I hope that it inspires you to ruin a party one day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the goal with everything we do here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell your friends that... Baba Yaga break time. Yeah. Hoping you ruin parties. Yeah. Try Baba Yaga at home. <laughs> Tell a new nursing parent... <laughs> <laughs> that their tiny, beautiful infant is a cannibal. Don't do that. <laughs> Simply don't do that. This Baba Yaga break time was brought to you by Patreon supporters just like you. Follow us at Baba Yaga Project on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.